Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast, where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host, Deepak Natarajan from France. And today I'm going to be talking to Jan Gilg, President and Chief Product Officer of SAP Esfahana. And we're going to be exploring the limits of the controlling culture. And he shares with us how we can create an empowering culture that builds trust and growth for all from his experience. So before we get in, a little about Jan Gilg. Jan leads the SAP Esfahana, which is SAP's flagship product that encompasses ERP finance and supply chain. In this role, he has global responsibility for the development, delivery, and product management of SAP Esfahana. SAP's industrial solutions, as well as digital supply chain portfolio. He is a cloud evangelist, a customer advocate, and a business problem solver. And most of all, he's one of the most humble, open-hearted, and strong leader that I've worked with, and that's what most people know him for. He's based in Waldorf, Germany, and he has lived in US for many years. So let's welcome Jan in this episode. Hello, and welcome Jan to this episode where we talk about the limits of a controlling culture. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, very good. Very good. Thanks so much for, for having me, Deepa. Well, thank you for being here. And um, I think everybody is curious to learn about what does it take to take my leadership to the next level? And I think everybody somewhere deep within their heart wants to experience joy in the workplace, live with passion and purpose. And this is something you know how to do way well. Wherever you go, you bring in a lot of enthusiasm. You bring in a lot of energy. Uh, you cheer people up. This is naturally you. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks so much for th- saying that. Uh, I hope that's me. Uh, actually, I uh, I try to you know be be optimistic and and you know uh, bring that to to work life, especially since in in, in my role, um, you know, it's it's often uh, kind of a high pressure environment. Uh, there is there is a lot of things that are on the table, you know, fire drills and, and stuff like that. So I think it it really helps if you have uh, you know some some positivity and, and energy, and you know, then it it helps to get stuff done. Right, exactly. And uh, I must say, um, I don't want to sound very pessimistic here, but I must say that at a personal level, uh, when we look at the news, we wake up in the morning. I don't know if uh, you do that, but sometimes you wake up in the morning and you look at like BBC.com or like whatever news channel that you tune into and you look at the news and we find ourselves a bit challenged by everything that's happening around us. Um, simple things like winter is coming in. Uh, the prices of gas is going up in the European zone. And some of us don't feel like we belong in the workplace because of the culture but then we feel handcuffed by the financial security that brings us. Then there's a climate crisis happening. There's a geopolitical tension. And I can go on off about all the things that's happening in this very competitive world. Um, the question is that when we are faced with competition, we perceive a danger. We tend to go towards control. We tend to control the things around us so we can change the outcomes. But things are more complex. The world is more complex than that. And how do you strive as a leader to empower people, to trust people, and to grow rather than, you know, control? Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, um, 
often uh, control is, is being used actually uh, in order to uh, create a, a false, a, f a frankly, sense of, of security uh, and, contr and control mm -hmm. in a sense that the more I push this on my, on my people, the more I am basically in control of all those things that you mentioned, which nobody is. Um, so it is a very big ambiguity in which we live in. And uh, I think this is something maybe even because we have so much access to information nowadays, I don't think that necessarily times are so much worse today than they have been in the past. Uh, but but uh, of course, we have much more visibility, I would say. Um, but uh, in general, I, I typically you know, try to, to take a step back and, and really tell myself also that um, you know what what I do other other people can do as well and I think everybody is is replaceable per se um, and especially you know in my environment working for a very large company I think it's it's uh, it's normal and I've seen this over and over again uh, but if you if you have that it gives you a little bit of peace of mind and also you know the, the clarity that you don't have to exercise control in order to stay relevant um, at the end of the day And uh, I think it's it's really important um, as a as a leader to to communicate uh, clearly and uh, set realistic deadlines. So that for me um, has nothing to do with with exercising control. Yeah, it's really um, to be clear. I think is one of the most uh, important leadership principles anyway. Yeah, and I think people expect that also uh, from a leader, uh, which doesn't mean then you know you set a deadline and then you set up a, a daily meeting and uh, micromanage uh, where we are uh, day by day. But really trust and. Uh, the people to achieve that yeah? because you have been clear you have said this is what i expect this is what we need to be doing here's um you know the deadline we all agree this is realistic you signed up for it ideally um, and then now uh, deliver it right and it's not my job to check in every day if uh, you know we made uh, the right progress there um and i think it's uh, another another aspect um, from my perspective, is also to give them opportunity that that allows people to really uh, step out of their their comfort zone and and grow. And I think when you when you do that, what I described before, and give the people the empowerment, then uh, you see amazing things, yeah? like exactly that kind of growth. Yeah? And they basically excel and they they overachieve because they feel. They have the room to make the decisions they need to make, and they could be different than, than what I would have done. And then I think you always have to then uh, pull yourself back and, and really exercise that uh, sense of empowerment. But then you see actually people, they, they are willing to get out of their, their comfort zone, and you have to provide this environment because that means people uh, can actually grow. And at the end of the day, it means um, it has to be based on trust. And so this whole topic of... of um, Uh, delegation and then being sure people actually get uh, things done uh, was one of the biggest learning. And I think for everybody transitioning in leadership roles and then bigger leadership roles, it gets harder and harder because you really have to let go from a lot of things where you used to be an expert in. And, and mm -hmm. keep in mind that even if you, after two years, three years, you are not an expert anymore in that because you're supposed to, to manage, you're supposed to lead um, and not be the subject matter expert anymore. Uh, and of course, you have an opinion um, but I think it's important to really um, let the experts then do their job 
and and hold back than also on you know always kind of getting in there and say hey i think you should be doing this i should i think you should be doing this way so stay away from the how so many nice points that you mentioned i really want to emphasize on one of them that is clarity you spoke about bring clarity because being clear is being kind and being clear does or means, uh, in your words, uh, set boundaries, say what's okay, say what's not okay, set the clear deadlines, uh, make a clear request and give the right frame to the people and offer support because it's when you offer support and when you give that clarity, then you can give a frame for people to be empowered, make decisions from that frame of mind. And we actually enter a more positive, vicious cycle rather than uh, micromanage, uh, look for accountability all the time. And then we start uh, getting into lots of reporting. And that's when we see resistance to change. Because if we start controlling people and if we start looking at every single report, uh, what happens is we start controlling people. And that's when people start resisting change. Yes. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And frankly, it also helps to really manage performance uh, because uh, as a leader, you typically also dread those unpleasant discussions uh, where you have to tell somebody that, um, you know, uh, she might not have been um, performed the way uh, you expected it. And um, right. you can have those. First of all, I think you can only have those discussions if you had set clear expectations before. And second, mm -hmm. and that has been um, an experience uh, that, that I made quite often. Once if you have done that and then you come back and say, hey, I really think it, it didn't work. Um, people are not surprised. And, and there's really good discussions that follow. And then often you realize maybe. You know, that person is just not, um, you know, doing what uh, he or she is passionate for or, you know, she wants to do something else and it just didn't right. find the right role. And then you can have a very open discussion and, and make things better. Yeah? And uh, But that only happens if the clarity is there from my perspective. And then uh, actually <laughs> so things important. get better. Like such yeah. a vital yeah. point, right? You said like clear yes. expectations, uh, yeah. bring in that clarity. And somehow some uh, we want other people to imagine what's in our head. Um, yeah. We draw yeah, something yeah. and we expect the other person is going to draw exactly the same thing. Uh, yes. We have a vision. Uh, we have a dream and we want somebody else to unfold in the same way. And like you said, uh, at one point of time in the leadership uh, ladder, we're not experts anymore. And we've got to rely on other people and let them lead us through the how. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've uh, encountered that very often. And I think uh, one of the big downfalls is that leaders think they have said everything or they have been very clear and they have commun communicated very clearly. And I think yeah. that too. Yeah? And sometimes I'm like, this is so clear. Uh, why did nobody understand this? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Because you deal with those things and they're like in your head every day. Um, right. But it is something you have to also over communicate to a certain extent. And uh, even if when you when you have the feeling that, you know, it is you've done you've said that way too many times, then probably uh, it starts to arrive. <laughs> you know, <it's> a recipient. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just because things are clear in your head doesn't mean they're clear for everybody else. So. Right, exactly. And I love the fact that you said that, you know, over communicate, uh, where, and then let people tell you the same thing. Then you know that you've actually got the same message across. Uh, can you share one example in your organization where 
people felt that they could speak up, make decisions, take a risk and not be afraid to fail. Because when uh, times are tough, when we need to achieve our results and the pressure is high, we don't want any kind of failure. And people are often also afraid to speak up about certain risks. So how do you encourage that? Yeah, I mean, we've taken a very... Um proactive approach to that i would say um and maybe that's also um, uh, kind of a special thing in the software industry um we say fail fail often fail early which is one of the the key principles also of uh, agile development um because you have to yeah so we you cannot because it's it's in, in software it's really the the later you make mistakes uh, in the process the, the more expensive it becomes um, to to really fix it and that's why we want to always you know encourage experimentation and we want to uh, encourage uh, people to speak up and say this is not going to work because if you do that sh shortly before something gets released you have really have a problem yeah. so that's why we try to address that very actively we have you know certain formats uh, we call that Go Gambas, where also myself, my, my leadership team, we, we visit teams just by walking in, basically, not like setting up a meeting per se and the system being prepared and, you know, they show PowerPoints, but really coming in and, and get the team together and ask them, so what are you doing? What what are you hearing? What do you think? Uh, what are some challenges that you hear? To really give them the opportunity to speak up and, and talk about from their perspective uh, what is going on. And sometimes it helps them to hear, you know, kind of the top perspective, which is usually broader, but very often that's also extremely good input then uh, because it really comes from the people who are very, very deep uh, in, in in what we are doing. Um, another format, which I like a lot, is uh, what we call Tell It Like It Is um, sessions, mm -hmm. So, right. which is by definition uh, a, a zone which is completely open. Yeah, so people... Mm -hmm. Uh, are supposed actually to really say what's on their mind and there's no recording, there's no punishment, there's nothing like that. Um, really because we do want, and this is not like a, a complaining session. Yeah? This is really right. meant to make things better. And I can tell you people that come there, they really come with that kind of a mindset because they care for the company. They, they care for what they do and they have concerns uh, and, and they want this to get better, but they know they're not in a position to fix it. They need basically upper management uh, to know about that and come in. So that, that is a format uh, that works pretty well in, in my perspective. And then I think we have the usual things like sounding boards where we, where we actively, uh, you know, collect feedback on certain things that we want to do. Uh, and, and basically just to, to bounce it off and say, hey, what, what would you think if we did A, B, and C? Um, is this a good idea or what are some of the concerns? Uh, and that helps us at the end to make then a much more informed decision because what's clear also as a leader, you're responsible for a decision. And a decision usually is not made, uh, especially not in a large company like SAP, uh, in a in a total consensus and it's impossible and it's also not the point <laughs> at the end of the day as a leader you're accountable you have to make the decision but the more informed it is and the more concerns you can hear uh, the better it is from my perspective rather than assuming that we know everything better anyway and then you basically kind of take almost like an, an ivory tower approach um, uh, to things and you oversee a, a lot of stuff and then it gets typically really, really expensive. Bad decisions, usually very expensive. The later they are being made, uh, the worse. So. 
Right, right. The one underlying factor between the three uh, things that you mentioned is that uh, one, we run experiments, we go, we meet people, uh, we meet developers, and we get to know what they're doing and what's happening. And then you have the tell it as it is session where people come and talk about how things are as they are and not really yes. a complaining session, but, you know, um, things that are happening that maybe won't go up uh, through the normal uh, chains of communication. And then you have the sounding board. So, you know, every decision that you make at a top level is also taken into, it's also done by taking into consideration what people think about it. And um, all of these things, one thing that's common between all the three, what I notice is vulnerability. Yes. Let's be, and it's not about uh, technical vulnerability, putting our systems and putting our processes uh, to be vulnerable, but it's rather about the human vulnerability factor. And I run um, leadership journeys. And what I notice when I run those leadership journeys is that people experiment and talk about uh, behavioral experiments that they are running, new behaviors that they're trying out. They come back, they talk about it. And it's very much similar to all the three aspects that you're talking about put together. That is technical, uh, talking about technical challenges, talking about things as they are, and looking at, yeah, getting feedback um, from each other. And this, all this put together is a very robust system. What, uh, and this is a great idea. And what was one thing that helped you put this in place? Yeah, I think uh, first of all you have to um, be be able to to articulate uh, obviously some sort of a vision uh, and, and strategy and, and say this is this is this is what we want to do and it goes back maybe again to to the clarity on the on the communication and then of course you have to be and, and you mentioned vulnerability I think it's important also as leaders to say hey not everything is perfect where we are yeah? so really then show show them okay this is this is this is our starting position and that's where we are and and show the challenges and, and uh, that is a is a big uh, cultural topic are we allowed to talk about challenges are we are we allowed mm -hmm. to say that things mm -hmm. are not going well and when you do that first so to speak mm -hmm. as a as a leader then um you create in my mind uh, that culture that that people follow and they say oh it's okay actually to talk about that and then uh, of course you, you say i'm not talking about that um you know to to um accept it then and you know we should be happy with that but um we're talking about that because now we need a plan on how we get from here to what we set ourselves as a as a vision or, or a strategy And um, and that is then actually an instrument uh, that can be implemented um, to help uh, go down this path. You know, when you when you actually um, think about this this action plan, you know, and then you use those gogembas and sounding boards, and you, you can right. always put it in context and perspective. And I think that helps people really to understand because at the end it is always a journey. You know, this very very few things are really you know, uh, left or right. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a journey and, and there's a lot exactly. of gray zone in between. And I think that's why it's so important to, to talk about the challenge openly and then define the path forward uh, on how to, how to overcome them. Yeah. For listeners who are listening there, this is like a moment to pause, rewind and listen again, because uh, very often as leaders, I think we forget to talk about the challenges that we all face and we're all human. Uh, We don't have it all figured out. We don't have the right answers all the time. And talking about the challenges, talking about the vision somehow creates a sense of collective responsibility. Let's come together. Yes. Let's solve this together. Let's talk about it. And it gives everyone permission to say, I don't think I've got it. Yes. Can you and, help and I me? Think 
yeah and i think you have to stay away from the from the blame yeah so it can never yeah. be a blaming environment where we say hey we have these challenges because you made a mistake yeah <laughs> or you did this all wrong uh so i think it's it's really not about that uh, but you have to openly address that things are not going well and, and you know the the so-called watermelon reporting where you know it's <laughs> it's red and inside so at the, at the bottom in the working level and the higher it gets the, the more right. green it becomes and i think that is one of the worst things that can happen in a in a company frankly um mm. because that that is a recipe for disaster you know, if that happens and that's a it's a cultural thing right right and you know we're talking about good times and uh, before we wrap it up um during covid sap esfohana team had a significant amount of growth your fastest growth in terms of number of people was during that time how did you ramp up amongst market pressures and against the challenges of communicating virtually how did you all how did you make that happen like what was the ingredient there yeah i mean it was certainly a challenging time um definitely for uh, actually the people who to go completely virtual and then uh, to your point in that period adding a lot of new colleagues to the team um, right. and for years the 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 fact was that people would never come together physically once so from onboarding to then working with each other everything ha happened virtual and from my perspective it really started with um that we that we had to recognize that as an as a as something that is permanent or more permanent i mean we knew at some point it will become uh, or open up a little bit more but it also became clear then uh, rather quickly that it will never be like it was before uh, and i think it's important to first of all accept that and, and recognize that and then you can start thinking about okay now how do i deal with that and how do i try to balance now uh work um uh, as much as possible um you know with with um life so to speak as well uh, i think that's that's one important thing that to give people permission um to be more flexible we call that um pledge to flex here at, at mm -hmm. sap um uh, where we said yeah you have certain um duties of course yeah, but um how you do that and when you do that it is it is pretty open it's up to you and we don't want to control you yeah, we don't want you to you know you kind of measure then how, how often or how long people are locked into systems and stuff like that we 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 don't we don't do that and, uh, the other thing is then really thinking about uh, some formats that can also happen virtually um to create team spirit because that is in my mind really the biggest challenge of of the virtual onboarding world um how do you exactly. create identity with with the team and with the company yeah, and we see that this is still a big hurdle and i don't think anybody has the final answers on that but we try to really uh, create formats uh, from from you know almost like 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 virtual wine tastings to you know uh, cooking classes together and stuff like that which you would never have thought before of before yeah, uh, before right. covid um right. but then uh, since we realized this is a, a permanent thing and we have to do something um we we came right. up with with those uh, formats and so at the end of the day it's all about you know we called talked a lot about social distancing which is a terrible word in my mind and uh, and but it shouldn't mean social isolation so you have to really um, get fine formats 
that then are almost like semi-private, if you will. Yeah, so optional, but you realize people do that. They're outside of work hours, uh, come together then in this team, just like, you know, you're in the office and then you decide in the evening, we go out and have a drink together as a team. We try right. to do the same offers uh, uh, virtual and, and over time people really uh, did those things and I think it has helped. But I have to say, it this is, is still a big, big challenge. <laughs> so coming together and, and yeah. having time, spending time together is, is certainly something. I mean, it's, it's so human. Um, right. I think we, you can never replace that virtually 100%. Exactly. I know I spoke to some of the, the people in California, in, at SAP in California, and uh, some of the developers, they mentioned to me that they used to play video games uh, at the end of the day together virtually. <laughs> so that was the way they yeah. bonded <laughs> together. So uh, so those are actually nice measures, you know, some way that we've never met this person, the new person on my team. How do I, you know, how do I get along? So, right, there's so many yeah, ways with that. And that's... And, and it's also a little bit of a generational thing, I feel. So my, my daughter is 10 and she, she, she plays those, those video games. She says, so she calls her friends on the phone uh -huh. and then they basically log into this video game together and then they meet right. there virtually as well. So it was interesting to see uh, because they couldn't, they couldn't meet up uh, in, in person. So I think, uh, with, with technology is actually a big, a big helper in this, in this case. Uh, I, I don't know what I would have done when I was, uh, you know, during my time when I was a kid. It's, uh, all this wasn't available, <laughs> so but much, much harder. <laughs> <laughs> so before we close this episode, uh, Jan, one last message that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, so I think um, at the end of the day, I really feel that people need uh, to feel that they are part of something um, that is that is really not not only important but also powerful enough actually to make make a difference for them you know, in 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 business or even in the in the society. So that's what I meant before with the with the vision. And I think if people feel that sense of belonging, um, it is it is really uh, absolute key, and it unlocks a lot of potential, and uh, you know it unlocks also a lot of motivation. And so that's why I, as a, as a product leader for, for ERP, I do try to, you know, connect the vision that we have with, with a certain purpose and really try to rally people, people around that. And I think that uh, is then something that really motivates people intrinsically because that needs to happen. And that is really the opposite of the <laughs> control function, I would say, because nobody is intrinsically motivated if they feel they're getting, they're getting controlled. But I think people get motivated if they have uh, a vision that they can buy into and they see a purpose and, and what they're doing. And then, you know, you see amazing things happen. I mean, people really are willing then to give their hundred percent. They're willing to, to go the extra mile. They are really uh, willing to, even in a virtual world, you know, work, work together, join a new company, become part of the team. And uh, so that's for me really the, the key message, uh, create something that is, uh, you know, bigger, that really, uh, you know, presents, represents a purpose for people. Absolutely. So well said. Something that wakes you up every single morning and that gets you going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody, every one of us know, knows that feeling, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the, how, how that can, something like that can, can motivate you. And if, if, if it's, it's the work, the same at work, yeah? I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar. So build a vision and make sure that the vision is adapted to every single person in the organization. It has to be customized at each person's level. And that's what gets people inspired, motivated and engaged. Thank you so much, Jan, for being here with us. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. This is one episode. 
that you might want to hear just one more time. There were so many useful tips that Jan Gill shared with us on letting go of control and yet having a strong focus on the result, especially when the stakes are high and when people around are having a hard time not reacting to the emotional tensions that arise in highly driven organizations. I've recently written an e-book on unlocking potential with a framework to make sustainable change. If you want to have a look, head over to meetmypotential.com slash ebook to download your copy. No email address required. So once again, it's meetmypotential.com slash ebook. I hope you enjoy reading that article and learning more about highly driven organizations and how to make sustainable change. Until next time, stay cool. Stay cool.